suffering is very real in our world. For example, the latest school shooting in Santa Fe. Very sad. Scary. We recognize this is very real pain, real sorrow for very real people. So as they face this suffering, our prayers are with them, right? And the families that are walking through such difficulty. And yet, the truth is that we don't need the news, per se, to know that there's suffering in our world because many of us look in the mirror and feel it ourselves. Listening to the stories in situations that people in our own congregation, the 52 people, well, 55 today, amen, uh, 55 people who call Renovation Church and are members of this congregation. You just survey the situations that people are facing. You recognize that, not to depersonalize the news, but we don't have to go far to feel the weight of sorrow and pain and struggle and difficulty. We have health concerns that are nagging here. We have chronic pain that people face. There's tragic loss of people that are dearly loved in our lives. Marriages that struggle. Families that are broken or feel like they're being torn apart. Co-workers, bosses, relationships, people wrestle with depression, illogical despondency. I know it doesn't make sense, but I still feel it. In this life, we're facing struggles, sins, our sin and the sin of other people. Hardships, adversity, stress. And being a Christian adds a whole nother layer of tension as we wrestle with it, right? We talked about that in Romans 7. That the Spirit of God is in those who trust in Jesus. And now you have this inner battle going on between the flesh and the Spirit. So being a Christian adds a whole nother layer of suffering, of struggle, of adversity. It's a fallen, broken world, and it wearies us. We want it to end. We crave for it to just go away. Raise your hand if you felt sometimes like, just go away. Just quit it. And all of it can can just seem pointless. Like, what's the point of all of this? And some of us in deep despair and confusion may wonder if this whole Jesus thing is really worth it in the end. Will our suffering end? And in the end, will the suffering that we endure, will it be worth it? Is there a point to it? Is there a purpose underneath it? Really what we want to know, is there any hope for us for an altogether different experience 
than this thing we know as suffering. Quite tension. But that's the tension that the passage we're looking at brings to the surface. Romans 18. I'm sorry, 8. 18 through 25. Listen to what Paul says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, We were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we wait for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of God. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. For those of you that are just jumping in, it might be worth noting that we are in a section of the book of Romans, verse, uh, chapters 5 through 8, where Paul is emphasizing the fact that our salvation from sin is rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That to be saved from sin is to be united to Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection. And what He's been doing in all of these short passages that we've been looking at over the last 12 weeks is kind of unpackaging the deeper implications of what it means to have that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. To be one with Him. His death is our death. His life is our life. And so we continue that. And if you look at the end of the last passage, uh, you look at verse 17, it's really important to, to be reminded before we go to 18, what is going on. He's talking about it again. right? He's talking about union with Christ in verse 16 and 17. He's saying the Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God, and there's this word again, with, fellow heirs with Christ. We're heirs of God, but to be an heir of God, you must be a fellow heir with Christ. Your relationship with Christ is the condition for being an heir of God. And then he goes on to say, 
provided we suffer with him. There's that word again, with. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. We are children with him, sons of God with him. We are uh, heirs with him. We are fellow heirs with him. Now we suffer with him that we might be glorified with him. I don't want you to miss the fact that Paul continues to talk about salvation and the benefits thereof rooted in a relationship with Christ. And when we think about it, it's important to remember that when we talk about our union with Christ, we have to be seeing and savoring the fact that when we're united to Christ, we're united to all of Him. Not some of Him. When we're united to Christ, we're united to all of Christ. Man, that's good news. We don't get just a little bit of Christ. We get all of Christ. Saints, hear that one. When you embrace Christ and His Spirit fills you, you get all of Christ, not some of Christ, all of Him. But having all of Christ means that it will include a present, sharing, fellowship, participation in Christ's sufferings. And now all of you want to go home. Our union with Christ is a union with all of Him, including a present participation in the sufferings of Christ. The Spirit Himself bears witness, right? We are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. This link between suffering and future glory is inseparable. You can't have the glory of Christ and not anticipate in this life some sort of suffering with Christ. But if you suffer with Christ, guess what? You can have the expectation that you will have the glory of Christ. That's the gospel. You get some, you get all. Does that make sense? I love what John Stott says. He says, first, the sufferings and the glory belong together indissolubly. That's how you say that word. (laughs) They did in the experience of Christ... They do in the experience of his people also. The sufferings and the glory are married together. They cannot be divorced. They are welded. They cannot be broken apart. Union with Christ is a union with all of him. You get the suffering. You get the glory. You get it all. Right? And that's hard for us to hear in our American context of prosperity and success. That is difficult. It's, it's like a prophetic thud to the chest when we think about our existence. When we think about our faith in the context of a Christian, uh, or a, 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 I'm sorry, an American society. But Paul says in Philippians, it has been granted to you for, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also what? Suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Suffering is definitely, inarguably, a part of union with Christ. 
the prophetic punch to the American dream. And an unbiblical, America, Americanized Christianity that twists and reduces the gospel of Jesus to self-help therapies and seven-step strategies to your best life now. This rocks us at our suburban core. I'm saying us because I'm with you. It rocks us. Our American dream seeks to rise above all earthly struggle. We can beat this. We're better than this. We want to take advantage of all the opportunities the world offers us for the most happiness now in this present life. And our American gospel preaches that Christ's death as a, is a means to that financial prosperity and security, which is abhorrent to the biblical gospel. It's sickening. And our suburban spirituality lives this dream. It embraces this gospel. And it seeks escape from the reality of suffering in the world and in our own lives. We want out. Now. And we may attend church twice a month. We may give a little bit here and there, which is hard. And post some feel-good verses on Facebook. But really, this is all a part of our nice life. That makes us feel good. It's comfortable, it's convenient, but yet it is incompre- it's comprehensively contrasting to the life that is united to Christ. We just got to call a spade a spade here sometimes. It is what it is. Yeah, but we suffer with Him. We will be glorified with Him. We suffer with Him. We will be glorified with Him. Our union with Christ is a union with all of Him. His sufferings. Paul says, man, he's not scared by this. Paul says, I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to have fellowship with Him in what? His sufferings. I'm in. I want to know Jesus so much. I'm in. Sign me up for the suffering, baby. Is that our heart? Couch is looking real good right now, isn't it? But we're not only united to Christ in His suffering, the text is telling us that if we are united to Him in His suffering, we live in the expectation of glory. And again, like I said, there are many people in the room that are living and struggling and wrestling with very real struggles, adversity, and suffering that you see and feel the brokenness of our world. And so in many ways, while I think it's important to remind us of our union with Christ and the suffering that it brings, yea, according to Paul, understand this, that your suffering is what? Is meeting the condition and bringing participation with Christ in the hopes that one day you will be united to Him in all of His glory. And so I want to reassure you today that whatever you're facing... Based on your union with Christ, you will see glory. His glory. You can expect glory someday. If you're wondering if there's hope of glory, the answer is yes. 
Absolutely. Because when we suffer with Him, we will be glorified with Him. Amen? 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We not only participate with Christ in His suffering, we participate with Christ in His glory. We get it all, baby. We get it all. I love that. There's no half-hearted promise in the gospel. There's no light-hearted, like, you get a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You get all of God and all of His glory when you trust and know Christ. So wonderful. And so he's saying, I recognize that many of you are going through these things. And here's what I want to tell you, verse 18. I want, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So when we start to measure up present suffering to future glory, we go, we're, we're talking about apples and oranges here. We're not even talking about things in the same category. In its fullness, in its beauty, in its brightness, in its intensity, in its lasting nature. We're not comparing the same things here. When we line up the present suffering, as difficult as it is, it simply does not compare to the weight of glory that we will have because we're united to Christ. No matter what we face now, it is paling in comparison. There's simply no comparison to what we will face, the glory of God, when Christ returns. This is a weight comparison. There's an image I want to throw up there for you. You can't see it because we have very small TVs. Oh, maybe you can. Present sufferings light compared to future glory. It's light. That's what Corinthians says, right? This light in momentary affliction. Light. You say, brother, you don't know what I'm going through. Said, you're right, I don't. You're right. You say, you don't understand. In many ways, I don't understand. You're right. But the scriptures teach that as awful and heavy as it feels, it's light in comparison to what this affliction is preparing us for. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's light compared to the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. And oh, by the way, I think it's important to say that your suffering, present suffering, does not compare to the glory that will be revealed to us. But it's also important to note that your present success is not to be compared to the glory that you will see when Christ returns in all of His fullness. You put your stock and your pride and your joy in your present success that you've somehow defeated any temporal sufferings with just hard work and grit. You say, yeah, but look what I've done. 
understand this. It is nothing. The personal glory that you have obtained and all the glory that you know in this world, it pales in comparison to the glory that will just simply be given at the revelation of the sons of God. A glory that you cannot earn. A glory that you cannot buy. But a glory that will simply be given to those who are united to Christ. Who know Christ. Who trust in Christ. So your suffering can't compare. And neither will your successes compare. To the success and the glory of Christ on your behalf. So place all your faith. Place all your hope in Jesus. Nothing compares. There's simply no comparison to what we face today compared to what we will face on that day. So if you're dealing with sorrows and struggles, hear my favorite quote from Adoniram Judson, the missionary who hanging upside down in a Burmese prison with no converts and the death of his wife looked at a fellow inmate and said, friend, the future is as bright as the promises of God. If Adoniram Judson can hang upside down in a Burmese prison with no converts, failure, with a dead wife, he's all alone. And when his fellow inmate says something of a hopeless nature, he turns hanging upside down and says, Brother, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Nothing compares to the glory that we await. No suffering, no success. There is an eternal weight of glory that comes at the revelation of the sons of God. Now what makes this freedom, I'm sorry, which makes this glory uh, to be something that we can't compare it to? Two things. There's simply no comparison to God's future glory because it includes the freedom and full restoration of creation. I think this next passage might open our eyes to see a bigger picture of the coming glory that God will bring. It's easy for us to go individualistic on these kinds of promises. Yeah, I'm going to be. And see all of the salvation promises is just isolated to yourself, an individual. And understand this is very much applied to individuals. But what we see here is that the coming glory is of a cosmic, universal nature. That there's something big coming with the future glory. Right? It says that the creation, non-human creation, the created order is waiting eagerly, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation. The world in which we live, the created order, is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. It says, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the glory, I'm sorry, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What in the world's going on? Well, if you remember Genesis chapter 3, what happened? When Adam and Eve sinned and fell from this relationship with God in the context of Eden, and punishment ensued, the judgment came. 
One of the pronouncements in Genesis 3.17 of judgment was a cursing of the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you. So that it, it the, it's sin entering into the world at the, at, the, at the hands of men and women who disobeyed God. What happened is the creative order went into a place of futility, of bondage, of corruption. And creation is crying out, it's groaning for the glory to be returned. Isaiah 65, 17 says, it's a, it's a promise we read this morning. For behold, uh, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things that shall not be remembered or come to mind. I'm sorry, shall not be remembered or come to mind. Revelation 21.5, behold, I'm making all things new. That the future glory that we anticipate is not just our own glory, but the glory of a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. That in a, in, a, in a context where there's so much uh, bickering about sustaining this world that seems to be so unsustainable, we recognize the fact that there's no uh, human effort that can, con- that can um, successfully protect the deteriorating nature of the world in which we live. I mean, I'm pro-recycling, by all means. It's a very much a part of our daily activity. Who's taking the Wegmans bag full of recycling and putting it into the blue bin? Because I'm sick of it on the counter. Some of you dads say amen. But again, steward the the world in which we live. But understand, the hope of creation is not human effort to do a better job at making sure we got oil for a lot longer. Ultimately, the hope of creation is that God would make it new. It would bring about a whole new created order, a whole new place that is no longer subject to futility, that is no longer subject to corruption and bondage. They want to be, creation wants to be set free from this. And this is the exact thing that Jesus promises in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Revelation 21. A new creation. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 2 Peter 3. So creation is groaning for glory. Are you? Non-human objects are groaning for glory. Are you? The text says if you're a follower of Jesus, yes, you are. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Creation's groaning. We're groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. It is not just the created order that is groaning and waiting, but it is, we, it is those who have received the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of the Spirit. It's waiting and groaning. And that's why there's simply no comparison to God's future glory Because it is including the full adoption and full redemption of our bodies. Raise your hand if you have arrived yet in your walk with Jesus Christ. Wonderful answer, everybody. You have not arrived yet. 
Raise your hand if you feel the suffering and the struggles and the sins and, 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 the, and the pull of the flesh. Absolutely, we feel that. What's going on? Well, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. The deposit has been implanted in our hearts. We have the Spirit of adoption. The first fruits of the Spirit. But we have not experienced the full measure of that adoption. We've been redeemed from our sins. Amen. Forgiven. Amen. But we have not received the redemption of our bodies. A glorified body. We still feel the tension of this life in the world in which we live. And what I'm telling you is, is that the, that the glory that we await, uh, it, there's simply no comparison. You can't compare anything to it because it will include the fullness of all that God has promised to His children. All of Christ. All of Christ we're united to. The fullness of Christ. Not a part of Him. Not a little bit, but all of Him. And so we now, in this life, live as people of expectation. We live as people who groan inwardly. We live in the already not yet tension. We're already saved, but not yet fully. We're already sons and daughters of God, but not yet fully. We have the Spirit living inside of us, but our body is still very much fleshly and corrupted. We still experience the realities of a broken world. But the glory we await promises a full measure of all of these things. Full adoption. Full redemption. Full resurrection. And so we wait for it eagerly. The image in my mind is we have this posture toward eternity that is like waiting for dinner. There's a lot of angst at the dinner table with three kids when they're hungry and they haven't eaten since lunch. You know what I'm talking about? That, that eagerness? Now there's impatience too where people are about two seconds away from throwing their dish. You know what I'm saying? They're so hungry they can't take it anymore. But there's this sense of we're hungry. We're eager. We know something good in full filling is coming. And so we sit there and we yearn and we groan and we, we long for it. And, and, and yet we expect it. We see it coming. Preparations are being made. As time goes on, we know it's getting closer. We see it getting plated and brought to them. Some of you say, maybe you should get your kids involved. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a four-star restaurant at our place. You know, kids sit down. Parents just kind of wait, you know. No, sometimes it's like that. It feels like that. That was a little venting, right? Say in a restaurant, get your own cereal. You hear that sometimes at the amazing house. But there's this, there's this eagerness to be fed, to be full. There's a deep hunger inside of us. I think that's the posture that we have in this life. You see, we struggle. We try to fill ourselves with the glories of this world. We try to fill ourselves with all the joys and the, and the numbing effect of, of, of America that, that takes us out of suffering. We try to fill ourselves with temporal joys and we think we're, it, life is getting better. And, but they under, understand this, that none of that stuff ever fills. It never satisfies. It never truly takes away the craving. 
It never truly takes away the emptiness. Only Christ in all of his fullness can fill you with that. And those that know that and keep their eye focused on that, they keep waiting. They, they kind of a little uneasiness with their fork. Uh, they're not you know, losing complete control, but they can't wait for the meal to be served, the meal of glory. That hunger is real and it's deep inside of them. A hunger and groaning for glory. We do so eagerly. I can't wait for glory. Man, I sometimes get frustrated by the, the world in which we live. I sometimes get discouraged and despondent by my own sin and the sins and struggles of other people. I'm just going to be honest. And, and, and what happens inside of me? I go, God, come Lord Jesus, come. Come and, and restore all of creation Redeem us fully. Is that your crave? Is that your hope? Are you just looking for retirement? Are you just looking for some house on the lake? Is that your future? Is that your preferred future? Or do you want Christ, who He is, all of His glory, the fullness of redemption, the fullness of His resurrection? You groaning for glory? What are you waiting for? In this life. Someday we will. How do you end that sentence? Someday we will. Have absolutely no responsibilities and just walk on the ocean shore. Is that it? Someday we'll pay off the mortgage. Preach. Right? Someday. We will be done with this present suffering. And someday we will experience the fullness of glory. And that glory that we will know and see will not be compared to the glory that or to the to the um, to the pain and difficulty of the struggles we have now. It will not be compared. Apples and oranges. Let's not miss the forest through the trees here. This is about Jesus. Again, it's easy for us to talk about glory as like some thing. The glory of God is Christ. Jesus. So the glory that we are waiting for It's face to face with Jesus. That's the hope. United with him in his death and resurrection. United with him in his suffering. And someday, we will be united with him in his glory. And what that means is that your eyes will meet his. This is very personal. When we talk about the coming of glory, we're talking about the coming of the glorious one. We're talking about Jesus. Don't miss the forest through the trees. Nothing compares to Jesus. The present suffering, the difficulty, the adversity that you feel, whatever context it is, 
it is not comparing to Jesus. The weight and the glory and the beauty and the brightness of Jesus. 1 John 3, beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. If you have faith, hope in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are God's children now. If you do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, place your faith, hope, and trust in Him, and you will be a child of God. All those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Behold, oh beloved, there's so many bees. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Not yet. Already, not yet. That's the world in which we live. Already, but not yet. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. There's your glory. We shall be like Him. Because we shall see him as he is. How many of you groan for that day? To see Jesus. It won't just change your situation. It'll change your you. Comprehensively. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Hope. Hoping, waiting, steadfastness, enduring. That's what our life is now. Hoping, groaning, suffering, longing, eager, patience. United with Christ in His suffering. The sure anticipation that one day, eye contact with the glory of Christ. Can't even, I'll, I'll go mercy me on you. I can only imagine... You cried when you first heard that song. Don't be laughing at me. Then that, the 48th time in an hour on the radio, we're like, okay, I'm done. When you see him, you'll be like him. It may be the best thing to just say in, as we close this message is this. No matter how great the suffering we face today, it is simply no comparison to the glory of the one we will face on that day. Will our suffering end? You tell me. No more rhetorical. Will our suffering end? In the end, will it be worth it? Is there any point to all the suffering and struggle that we face? Is there any hope for an altogether different experience that will last. Yes. So suffer, groan, wait, eagerly, patiently. It won't be long. Sorrow comes for the night. But joy comes in the morning. No matter how great the suffering we face today. It is simply no comparison to the glory of the one we will face on that day. Amen. All praise, glory be to you.
O God, our great King. You are indeed our joy. You are indeed our Savior. You saved us by uniting us to Christ, as an extension of your grace toward undeserved sinners. We're united to Him in our standing and position. We are sons, children of God, filled with the Spirit. We are heirs of God. We wait for God, our inheritance, our portion. And we are fellow sufferers with Christ in this life in order that we may share in His glory. Spirit and the bride, say come. Come, Lord Jesus. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.